It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Many of us have heard of D-Day. The war buffs would call it Operation Overlord. Or some of us just know it as the landing on the beaches of Normandy on June 6, 1944. But it's probably the most famous event of World War II. But not many of us have heard of H-Hour. But H-Hour was a massive decision. To determine H-Hour was an arduous process. And when it was finally decided, it set off a chain of strategic preparatory events that were to synchronize hundreds of millions of other actions and reactions that would ready the Allied war machine for the day and the hour. Hey, this is Eric. Before we jump into the fascinating subject of readying for battle, I wanted to mention that I have a Man Talk conference November 13th through 15th here in Windsor on the Ellerslie campus. If you have never been to an Ellerslie men's conference, you are definitely missing something quite epic, soul-stirring, and special. Please go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to learn more. Now let's join the Allied Chiefs of Staff in the spring months of 1944 and sweat alongside them as they labor to define the D-Day and the H-Hour. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we are headed into episode 63 of our uh, World War II series. Uh, I'm not sure at what point we start laughing that the numbers are so big uh, that, I mean, 63, how ridiculous. Isn't it going to be fun? See if I could reach 70. Isn't that a, a milestone? Uh, but, and I, I have a hunch I will because I'm headed into, I, I was mapping out my, my upcoming messages and there's about three or four that are preparations for the day. What's interesting is in scripture, the term the day is very common. And it's speaking of two key days. It, one is going to be the cross and the other is going to be the coming uh, or the second coming. And it's the day. So the day of the Lord. And in the day of the Lord, you know, a lot of big things are going to happen. I mean, there's fires burning things up, right? And so we have this thing where the Jews are confused of the day. They think it's just one day. So the Messiah is going to come and he's just going to destroy all his enemies and he's going to rescue his people. Instead, he comes as a lamb. And so there seems to be a day for the lamb and a day for the lion. And so this day of the lamb is still a rather loud roar if you were the enemy. Uh, if you were Satan, you know, you got your due on that day and that wasn't a very pleasant day. So there was uh, quite the judgment that day. But so there's this concept in scripture of the day. And so as you deal with World War II, you're going to see this same interesting phenomenon begin to come out where there's a day. And this day has a lot behind it. I mean, this is literally nations working together to hide and to make mysterious this, this movement uh, of the counterattack. And Hitler has not been responded to in any proper way on the European landscape. I mean, we've, we've done some things in Italy, so I'm not going to downplay that. But France is like this key location of access into Germany. And so we have no response. Hitler takes Belgium, takes Holland, takes France, and silence. And that was 1940, 1941, 1942, 1943. Now we're middle of the way through 1944, and you can just sort of feel it. If you're Germany, it's like you know something's coming. You know that they have to be planning something. And the Allies know that Germany knows that something's coming, but Germany does not know the day or the hour. 
I don't know if this is triggering certain thoughts in your mind, but the more you study Scripture, you realize we have a D-Day in Scripture. I mean, it's like a D-Day. It is like the day, and on that day, boom, all the power of the allied force, or God Almighty, is going to break forth. And that's, of course, what we see at the cross. But that's also going to be the day when the clouds bust open and divide the sky, and we see the coming Lord Jesus on his white steed with uh, with uh, swords protruding from his mouth, crowns upon his head, on his thigh, a tattoo that reads King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah, that day. D-Day. And so the name of this one is interesting because we understand, or at least we've heard the term D-Day. Uh, and if it's interesting because when you study war, you're going to recognize these two key phrases, D-Day, which is a general term, because you could have a D-Day, and we could have a D-Day to, you know, in, in our next month. It's like, or our D-Day for launching this, which basically means that defined day of days where we're going to launch into our next movement, okay? You could call it that. However, in all of World War, this is quite a crescendo day. This is a apex. This is a climactic day in war history, in world history, when all of these forces are building, and then, boom, they're going to launch onto the beaches of Normandy. But in that, in that day, there is an H hour. And if you wanted to know what H hour meant, it means hour, hour. That's what H stands for is hour. And uh, just sort of like D sort of stands for day. It's the day of days. This is the hour of hours. So once you define the day of days, then you need to define the hour of hours. And one of the, my favorite things in unpacking and uh, by the way Nathan would you mind maybe helping get some more seats here I want to make sure these guys are taken care of hey guys uh, but in you when the more you you spend time with God the more you recognize that he does think this way he has key days of breakthrough in your life you know in your mind your d-day would have been a long time ago you know for th these breakthroughs and yet he will pause like Stalin wants d-day in 1941 he does, and he is upset with the Allies that they're not just crossing the English Channel and attacking. I mean, wh what are you guys doing? Sitting on your thumbs? If it was me, I would have attacked him a long time ago. This is literally what he says. And Winston Churchill has to be very patient with Stalin to say, you don't understand that this is an amphibious attack, which means we have to go through water onto land. That doesn't just happen because you want it to. This is a very difficult thing. It, it, all tides affect this. Landing onto beaches is not just something you do with hundreds of thousands of men on accident. You need something to carry them over, and rowboats don't quite pull it off. And so how do you expect us to make this attack? This is going to take years in the making. They are going to invent military devices to carry tanks across the channel, to carry men in droves across the channel. It is going to take years to build these LTVs, these landing craft. I mean, it's extraordinary what's going to go into this. Our day and hour is oftentimes way before God's. And that's why we always talk about God's timing, which... The humor, you know, we have a humor in Christianity. Some people think we're serious, but, you know, we have sort of a sense of humor, don't you think? But we'll always say, yeah, God's timing, 11.59 and 59 seconds. <laughs> that's, that's humor. In the, if there's like a non-Christian listening to this, they, they don't even know to chuckle. They, they don't realize what that means. Like for us, what we mean by that is, God, you wait till the last moment to pull it off. But it's the perfect moment. You see, it's just that our moment was a lot sooner than that. 
And we look at it very differently than God does. God knows the precise day and the precise hour, or the H hour. So now you have a new term. So the H hour is the hour of hours. It's the chief hour out of all the other hours. And to define that hour is a strategy. It's really interesting to get uh, the things that I find myself fascinated with, you know, determining, wanting to find out why they chose that hour. It's like, who is interested in that? And yet I've been extremely interested. You know, it's so much to do with the moon, the tides, the daylight. How long it's been daylight is huge because that defines the readiness of the enemy. And so the closer it is to dark, the less ready, and so the, and the, the more obscure. And the amount of cloud coverage defines if they can or do it or not because, of course, you want cloud coverage, right? Well, not if you're trying to provide air cover. Because if you're trying to provide air cover and you have low clouds, that's dangerous and hazardous. And so there's all these different factors that are playing into all of these things. So the H hour is the hour of hours, the moment when all synchronized watches start beeping and the military commanders shout, attack! That's our H hour, okay? So what's interesting is the H hour is not defined, you know, by sticking your finger on your tongue and lifting it up and saying, hmm, is it the right time? The H hour is defined long in advance, as far in advance as you can define it. And then you work backwards from that H hour to prepare everything for D-Day and H-Hour. And so, now I'm, I'm sending you guys up to understand something that we understand in, in Scripture and in Christian history as providence. Okay, in Genesis 22, it's gonna be called provision or provide. The Lord God will provide, which means provision, seeing ahead. So provision, you have vision for something before it happens, and then you work backwards to make sure that everything is in alignment for the H-Hour. So Winston Churchill says, an intricate decision was the choice of D-Day and H-Hour, the moment at which the leading assault craft should hit the beach. So boom, when it hits, H-Hour. Suddenly, we have D-Day, and we have a lot of bullets flying. And if, I, I do not recommend anyone go through Saving Private Ryan just so that they can experience Omaha Beach, but if you ever do, you will discover what H hour means. It is, you know, it's it probably one of the best ways to say it is all hell breaking loose. It is a very, very tactical thing when you literally have an engagement of belligerent powers. So Winston Churchill says, listen to this. This is very interesting. This is, he's not trying to communicate something spiritual. I just happen to hear something spiritual when he says it. From this, which he's referring to the D-Day and the H hour, many other timings had to be worked backwards. So once they define this, then everything else is going to play to that. I just described something in your life that would actually be very helpful if you could grip it. And that is that God is preparing you for something. He's preparing us for something corporately. In other words, there's things we share in corporately that God is preparing us for. Okay, like for instance, COVID-19 is something that we were or could have been prepared for corporately, okay? You could actually question, it's like, were we prepared? <laughs> and yet God knew it was coming. He knew what the enemy was conspiring. He knew that there would be this challenge. He knew, and so he was supplying us. He was putting things into our spiritual pantry so that leaders could rise up, so that the church could be tried, so the church could be proven. 
In other words, he's working backwards and he's setting up something. And if you want to look at it this way, this COVID-19 could be something that he worked in because he's preparing us for even something beyond this, which is what I would say. In other words, that even he's like, yeah, we need COVID-19 right here <laughs> so that they'll be ready right here. I, I've called COVID-19 a Braxton Hicks contraction. Any of you that understand uh, labor and delivery understand a Braxton Hicks. They're sort of the enemy, you know, where they're like, yeah. you want to sort of sneer and snicker at a Braxton Hicks because they're a false contraction. At least that's sort of the term, but I don't like that term. What I would say is it's a preparatory contraction, that it's actually labor and it's preparing the physiology of a woman to deliver a baby when it is time. So it's warming up the engine. And so I look at COVID-19 as a, as a Braxton Hicks. It is a warming up of the physiology of the body of Christ so that we are sharp and ready for the D-Day, for the H-Hour. So Winston Churchill continues, it was agreed to approach the enemy coast by moonlight. This is how they're determining their H-Hour, guys. Because this would help both our ships and our airborne troops. A short period of daylight before H hour was also needed to give order to the deployment of the small craft and accuracy to the covering bombardment. But if the interval between first light and H hour was too long, the enemy would have more time to recover from their surprise and fire on our troops in the act of landing. So everything is being tactically figured out. And these are hundreds of thousands of moving parts. I mean, could you imagine being in charge of that? Being in charge of Ellerslie is hard. <laughs> and we have, what, you know, 10 moving parts. Okay, maybe we have more than that. But we have a lot of moving, well, comparatively, we have none. This is such a massive endeavor of nations working together. I mean, you have nations coming together and having to submit and say, who's the general commander? Okay, who's the, uh, they, everyone knows their role, they know their rank, and they're submitting. You know, there's so many people that are not gonna know the H hour. Why? If too many people know the H hour, the H hour could slip out. So literally, it's only a very few, and there's all sorts of restraints upon their communication. Everything is being monitored. And at a certain date, the H hour will be revealed to the next level down. And then those people go into lockdown and confinement, have no communication with the outside world, and literally are stuck on their ship. I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to see how this, this works. The H hour is so precious, so valuable, and so sacred. Surprise is only surprise if the H hour is maintained. So the mysterious H hour. It's interesting because I think for us as Christians, we struggle in seeing the military di dimension of the day and the hour in scripture. And so, it was like, God, why don't you share it with us so that we can anticipate that day? And yet there's something about this day that is like a military maneuver. It's very similar. So Jesus Christ is going to say in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day and hour, that D-day and that H-hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Very intriguing. The call to readiness. So what is going to come out as a result of this unknown hour? You see, we can know seasons, we can know times in a general sense, but we may not know the exact day. It's interesting because even defining D-Day, the D-Day was going to be, oh, I think it was like May 5th. It's going to turn to be June 6th is going to be the final D-Day. Like in history, if you looked it up, it'd be June 6th, 1944. Okay, that's a historic day. However, that wasn't supposed to be the day. 
It was supposed to be early May in when the, the lunar, uh, when, when it was the full moon in the, uh, the lunar calendar is how they were defining it. So it's going to be uh, in early May. I want to say May 5th. It's a general placeholder, we'll just say. It's a range of three days. And so they had that, and then it's going to end up being in June, so obviously that's going to change. But in the process, there is a readiness that is required. So all the troops are being prepared long before this day. And the same is true for us, even though we might not know the day or the hour. Isn't it going to be in May? And then as they get to March, they're going to say, uh, we're going to have to move it to June, right? Now, no one really knows that at our level, if you will. That's, that's going to be the highest command that is going to be deciding these things. But we know it's in this season. We know that we're preparing. If you're a troop, a soldier, and you've been training in uh, Great Britain, literally almost the whole country is being used as a training ground. If you're being trained for something, for an amphibious landing, you're, you have the hunch of what's going on. And you know, I mean, everyone knows when that many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men are being brought into uh, Great Britain and being trained for a very specific beach landing, you have the hunch that it's soon. So what are you doing? You're getting ready. You are preparing. So this is obvious when we talk about D-Day. For whatever reason, it's not so obvious when we talk about the Christian life. It's just like, oh, you know what? I'll be fine. If God wants me to be ready, he can ready me. You know, one of those types of sort of uh, passive, uh, nonchalant attitudes spiritually instead of God, you are doing something. Here I am, a ready soldier. Prepare me. What do I need to do? What, what is need? And so he actually will go through in Scripture. He'll show us different readying things to be doing, to be prepping to be in his presence, to be waiting on him, to be sensitive by spending time in his word, to be prayerful, to be praying for very specific things, attunes us, sharpens us so that we know which boat to get on, when to get on it, when to be crossing that channel, and when to hit the beach. This is something that he coordinates, but we need to be sensitive to that movement. So the call to readiness, this is Jesus talking, Luke 12, 35 through 37. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Okay, that to an American, that makes almost zero sense. Uh, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. So from my understanding in the Jewish culture, when the master would go off to a wedding and the servants would literally wait to be available when he would arrive, but they don't know when he's going to arrive. They know he's coming because he said he was coming, and so they want to be attending and ready and awake when he arrives. And so that's the concept that is being brought out here. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching, will find ready with their loins girded and their lamps burning. Okay, now since we don't need to gird our loins, we don't have long dresses that we need to run in, we're like, oh, I need to somehow wrap this up so I can move. We don't have that, and we also don't carry around lamps. Okay, so, I mean, we can have our iPhone and turn on the light. I mean, there's things we know how to do, but we don't, I mean, that's easy, right? Just have your, have your iPhone charged, is that what that means? 
So the point is there's a readiness symbol here where you're thoughtful of what is needed to be ready. So if I need to be ready to run, well, I want to have my loins girded is the term, is, is like your gown tied up so your legs can move. And if I need to have a lamp burning, I need to have oil for it. So you're thinking these things through ahead of time. You're not accidentally stumbling into that realization when the master starts showing up. It's like, wait a minute, I should have been ready to move. And so you try and wrap up your, your gown, which always seems so weird every time I think about doing that as a man. But it's the way it was. It was normal back then, even though it's a little abnormal now. All right, so here's my formula. I've came up with this formula a few years ago. It's very profound, guys. And I feel bad for all the people that are giving, getting this via podcast because they can't see it. And it's a really powerful mathematical formula. GW plus BL equals RFAAE. Okay, does that help? Isn't that profound? And all, I have people here. For those of you via podcast, you, 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 the people that are seeing this on the screen are nodding along like, oh, that makes so much sense. Okay, it doesn't make any sense. We, GW, girded waist or girt waist. BL, burning lamp. So girded, girt waist plus burning lamp equals ready for anything and everything. <laughs> In other words, we don't know what is going to come our way. In other words, we can prepare for the amphibious landing, which means a, a, a movement from water onto land. We could prepare and drill over and over again, but we have no idea that that enemy is going to pop out of a hole right in front of us. That wasn't in our drill. And so as a result, we need to be ready for anything and everything. How do we do that? By girding our waist and keeping oil in our lamp. So there's two key things that are taking place here. To girt your waist literally means to enclose or to surround. So the, the idea of remaining and abiding in Christ is actually this idea of being enclosed in something, being ready, being firmly established for something. And the burning lamp, what do you need? Oil, which is the, the, the symbol of the, the five virgins with oil in their lamp, five without. The distinction between those, they both had lamps, but one group, when the bridegroom came, did not have oil. That's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. To be cultivating the intimacy in the presence of God and living in agreement with the Spirit of God in a ready position abiding in Christ is literally what is going to prepare us for the day and the H hour. This is what makes us fit as soldiers for the cross. So Jesus Christ in Luke 12, 39 through 40, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So if you knew that the guy was going to show up at your front door and sneak in, you would be standing there with your gun, holding it at him, going, not on your life, right? If you knew when he was coming, you would be ready for him. And that's the concept that is coming here, which is why this idea of readiness is very, very important, which means you need to always be ready. It's not just be ready when you know when someone gives you a memo, thief coming at 2 a.m., you know, to back window, you know, in the kitchen. Well, that's easy to, to deal with, even though it's still a little, you know, awkward for us to think that a thief is literally coming to my house tonight. I mean, that's, that, that isn't a fun thought. But hey, call the police, get them there and have them all in your kitchen, have a little party, give them hot cocoa. And it's like, the guy's coming at 2. Let's take care of him. Right? That would be great. However, we don't have that luxury. We don't know which window. We don't know what day, and we don't know what hour. 
But we need to be watchful. We need to be ready. We need to be waiting. So this is Luke 12, 45 through 46. If that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. The, when you study war, that symbol is so interesting because everything about it, what you always want to do is divide uh, the army. So it says when it, you will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. This is like a war move to divide the enemy. If, if you can surprise your enemy and your enemy is fat and happy in what he's doing, he's doing his malevolence, and you are able to sneak up on him and hit the beaches of Normandy and divide his ranks, uh, you have yourself a victory in the making. And so I, I gave a World War II history version of that scripture. If Germany says in her heart, my foe is delaying his coming. I mean, it's been a long time <laughs> since 1940 when they actually entered into France and there's been no retaliation. I mean, small skirmishes. If you guys remember, Dunkirk was like the escape from it. I mean, so they have, they've only had small skirmishes, little raids on the coastline, nothing of significance for four years. Okay, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, my foe is delaying his coming and therefore continues to work malevolence and perpetrate evil upon the European countryside. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. If you're a Jew, if you're a peasant, I mean, your life is basically over. They're eliminating the lower species. <laughs> I mean, it's literally what they're doing. It's an extermination of that which is opposite what they would say is the perfect Aryan race. I mean, it's, a, it's a very malevolent thing that is working in Europe. And even if you are a good guy in Europe, you're thinking, allies, where are you? But the Germans have such a pompous arrogance uh, at this time that they are continuing to work their evil. The allies, so this is, if, if Germany says in her heart, my foe is delaying his coming and therefore continues to work malevolence and perpetrate evil upon the European countryside, the allies will land on its beaches on a day when Germany is not looking and at an hour when she is not aware and will cut her defenses in two and drive her back to her homeland. So there's the World War II version of it. Deciding the day and the hour. So in this decision-making process, there's multiple layers in the decision. Define the primary enemy. So in some of my previous messages, I think I had one called Controlling the Sea, and I, I dealt with this issue of defining the key enemy because we have three powers in the axes in the enemy. So we have Germany, Hitler, which is run by Hitler. Uh, we have Italy, which was run by a guy named Benito Mussolini, who in our flow of war has been captured and escaped and is now running a puppet government in northern Italy. And we have uh, Emperor Hirohito in Japan. So we have three major nations, very strong militaries, each one of them. And so you could say, well, which is your primary enemy? Well, the allies need to define that. Like if we take down Benito Mussolini, who would be a lot easier to take down than Hitler, will that solve the war? No. What if we take down Hirohito in Japan? Will that solve the war? No, actually what we need to do is take down Hitler. And this is actually what they're going to define. They're gonna define their chief enemy as Hitler. And they're going to say, if we take down Hitler, Mussolini follows, and Hirohito will follow. He's the kingpin. So we first define our enemy. Then we define our primary target. Okay, so we know that we need to take Hitler, and we need to get him in Europe. So we could, there's a whole battle in the Pacific. 
There's India and uh, Burma, there's the Mediterranean and North Africa, there's the Battle of the Atlantic, and there's the whole coastline of uh, the Western Front uh, in Europe. Which one are you, where are you, you going to fight? And so you're going to, the allies are going to say, we need to get France. We need to hit the beaches of France so that we can penetrate in and get to Hitler. We can break his stronghold in Europe. So they know that, but to get to France, they need to get across the water. And unfortunately, the Germans have submarines known as U-boats. And so as a result, unless they can win the water in the Atlantic, they can't get to the coasts of France, which means their primary battle is going to be the Atlantic Ocean. And that's what was surprising to most people. You define your main enemy, Hitler. You define your main battle, okay? We need to win the battle of the Atlantic so that we can hit the beaches of Normandy, which is going to be the years before. This is one of the reasons why it's taking so long to get to the beaches of Normandy. So define the, pre, the pre-battles. Well, we need to win the Atlantic. We need to win North Africa. We need to win the Mediterranean. We need to take Italy and hopefully distract in Italy and have him break off some of his divisions to try and cover there from, so that Stalin in, in Soviet Russia is given relief too so we can continue to hit him from three areas at once. So this is all strategy, right? So that we can have D-Day. All of this is defining D-Day, which is interesting. Define the invasion point. So Pade Calais, which is a little more north than Normandy, is like the ideal spot for this invasion. It is, in every regard. But guess who else knows that? Hitler. So what is the most fortified area of France but Pas de Calais? Because it's the most obvious place where it's the closest spot across from Dover. So as a result, to cross the English Channel is easy for them. And a huge beach area to land hundreds of thousands, if not millions of troops. This is, this is where we want to go. So this is where Hitler puts all of his reinforcements. So as a result, they choose Normandy which is not what anyone would have expected, including Normandy. Normandy's like, me? <laughs> Why would you choose my beaches? My beaches, you know how hard that would be to get in here? Mm-hmm. And that's why Hitler will not have as strong of reinforcements and fortifications there. We're going with Normandy. So you have to recognize all this is playing into this D-Day, H-Hour decision. So the invasion point is to say, now defining the commanding officer. So it makes sense that it would be a British officer. I mean, Alan Brooke was over there, uh, General Alan Brooke was over there in Dunkirk. He knows this crossing. He knows uh, amphibious warfare. I mean, this is your perfect guy. And yet, because of the strength and the involvement of the Americans, Churchill is going to define it probably needs to be an American commanding officer. And Roosevelt agrees. And so then they're going to pick uh, Marshall, General Marshall, who is probably the most formidable man in the war on the American side, but he is not going to end up commanding this because Roosevelt does not want him to leave his side in America, and so it's going to end up being Dwight Eisenhower. And so all of these things are coming into play because now Dwight Eisenhower is going to be the one to define the D-Day and the H-Hour. So you have to know all of these things before you can even get to the point of deciding the D-Day and the H-Hour. So it defined the invasion tactics. So now you have the beach, you have the commander, you have the range of time, right? We want to do it in 1944. Of course, Stalin wanted it in 1941. So if you ask Stalin, he's going to say, uh, 1942 then. Well, then 1943. And so the fact that the Allies are saying, let's see if we can do it in 1944 is like horrifying to Stalin, which is a whole bunch of 
episodes that I've had in the past of dealing with Stalin, which is really interesting. But define the invasion tactic. How are we going to do this? And that's what a general does. A general is going to define the strategy for this. And then define the day. Well, that's going to depend on all sorts of factors. And once you finally land those factors and you get it to like, okay, we're going to be May 5th. And because the moon is going to be at this, this is when daylight is going to break, then you could define the H hour. But, oh, because of this, they're going to have to move it out a month. It's going to end up being June 5th, 6th, or 7th. Then they have to define, then the storm comes in on the 5th. Oh, no, we have cloud cover. So it ends up being moved to the 6th. The H hour is being defined. It's extremely interesting to see how this moment in history is going to be defined. So Winston Churchill says, it was not until March that General Eisenhower, in conference with the British Chiefs of Staff, made his final decision. The American Chiefs of Staff had agreed that he should speak for them. Having recently come from the Mediterranean, he knew all about Anvil. Okay, Anvil is another attack that's going to hit southern France at the same time, which is going to distract Hitler down south. And so and that's what Anvil is, just so you guys know. He knew all about Anvil and now as supreme commander over, of Overlord, Overlord is D-Day, as we would understand it, Operation Overlord, he could best judge the needs of both. It was agreed to take the ships of one division from Anvil and use them for Overlord. The ships for a second division could be found by postponing Overlord till the June moon period. The output of new landing craft in that month would fill the gap. So you actually see them making it the last minute. They know they need some more landing ships, the ones that take over tanks and men. And they're just short, like two. All the details are coming together, but they're short like two, and so they're going to actually postpone it a month to be able to move these ships from Anvil up and as a result, if they do it in June, so then it's going to work. So they have all these factors that are playing in. I get fascinated with that. I don't know if anyone else does. So I'm going to read this statement again, which I said earlier. From this D-Day and H-Hour, many other timings had to be worked backwards. So when you determine your D-Day and your H-Hour, now you're moving your troops, your ships, your tanks, everything into place, all your production of military equipment, food, you don't want bread sitting there for two months waiting. You want to produce that bread and ship that bread to have it arrive at the exact time that it's needed so that it doesn't mold, right? So everything is timed. The supply chain for a war is so, so bewildering that it, it makes me stressed out, okay? Even when I was studying World War I and supply chains and how they were dealing with everything, I was stressed, and it, I wasn't even alive then, right? And it's like, why does it matter to me? I don't know, it's just like something, like there's a certain type of mind that really enjoys that type of stuff, like ones that like numbers uh, and like fine details. It is so difficult to supply. If you studied the German uh, hammer blow on France in World War I, to start out uh, World War I, it is one of the most stressful things you'd ever, see. and it's actually going to harm Germany because they got ahead of their supply line. They're winning. And yet they, their supply line couldn't keep up. So what do they not have? Food. <laughs> they don't have reinforcements, no one to replace them in battle because they can't get there fast enough. Things that we would never think about. Victory! Just keep going. Well, that actually will cost you your life. So all of these things have to be worked backwards. What do we need to be in place for this? Now, I want you to think through the kingdom of heaven. God is the Lord of hosts. He's the supreme commander. He's actually in a position defining this victory. He's going to take out Hitler, which is going to take out Mussolini, which is going to take out Hirohito. He's going to win this battle. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he is defining a day and an hour. And it's usually not our day and hour. We're like, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Right now, haste the day that my faith will be made sight. What is taking you so long? And it's sort of like Stalin. By the way, that's a Stalin complaint. <laughs> However, to trust that our God's timing is perfect. He knows what he's doing. If you're just a soldier, could you imagine if, if you're over in Europe and you're like hot, there's tons of soldiers in confinement right now over in Europe under Hitler. They were captured. They're prisoners of war. Could you imagine how frustrating it would be like, what are you guys taking so long for? I mean, this is, I've been here four years. If they were captured at Dunkirk, I mean, could you imagine it's like four years and they're lingering, waiting for the allies to do something? Haste the day! And yet God's timing is perfect. There are so many reasons why Overlord could not come until June 6, 1944. And yet, if you're just a guy in a prisoner of war camp, it is very difficult to understand that. And some of you are like, I think I identify with that prisoner of war camp illustration. It, it does, we do identify because we are soldiers in a battle and we are facing real extremity here in this world. And we're like, God, where are you? Oh, he's there. He's moving. He's working. In fact, he could be poisoning and positioning you right in that exact prison cell to break out at a certain time to steal a gun and to walk into the streets and to do something fabulous. Who knows? In other words, what God's purposes are, are way beyond you and why he has you where you are and how he is preparing. If you have your waist girded and your lamp burning, you will be ready for anything and everything. God works backward from the H hour. Revelation 9.15, this is just my proof of that. This is extremely interesting, I get excited. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now it's not the most pleasant meditation that they were released to kill a third of mankind, right? However, look at what it says. First of all, there is a time when this is gonna happen and it's an hour and a day and a month and a year. So let's work backwards. In our English speaking world, we would say a year, and there's a month, and there's a day, and there's an hour. And these angels were prepared for that very event. Isn't that interesting? It's a D-Day. And these angels are being prepared. Well, that's interesting. God prepares for these D-Days, these H-Hours. So Genesis 22, one of the greatest pictures of an H-hour that, that exists in all the Bible. I mean, it is a great one. I mean, there's some good ones, like David and Goliath, that's an H-hour. And, you know, he steps in on the 41st day. After 40 days are completed, he's delivering bread and cheese. But he is readied for this. He is prepared on the lion and the bear. He is ready to face this man-beast in the, in, the, in the H-hour. I mean, it's incredible. All he was doing was being obedient and he was ready for God's H-hour. God knows the H-hour, we don't. And that's the difference between earthly battle and heavenly battle, is God holds certain cards back from us. We don't know what's happening, but he says, do you trust me? Which is why faith is the shield of the heavenly soldier. It's not foreknowledge that is our shield, it is faith in his ability to control and to lead. 
He holds everything in his hands. He knows what we need to know, and to the degree that we need to know, he'll give us insight. If we need to know that there's gonna be an enemy on the beach that's gonna pop out of the hole, he can tell us. He can say, watch out for that hole. And we're like, hmm, I feel like God's telling me something, and that is to steer 10 feet to the right when I get out of the boat. That's his business. But if we have our waist girded and our lamps burning, we will win this battle. We have everything we need to be ready. So there's a, there's a ram, and I don't know the story of the ram, but someone should do a movie about this ram, because this ram is being prepared. And it has its, you know, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, had some rebellion problems with its parents or if it was a good ram. I'm not exactly sure, you know, which way this ram went and how, how its individual life worked. But this ram is going to go wandering a little off from his family. And I don't know if it's like a little shimmer in a bush. He's like, huh? <laughs> and he goes following it. And he is going to end up leaning down at this one moment. And his horns will get stuck at the very H hour, we could call it the M minute, we could call it the S second, right when Abraham is raising his knife in obedience to God, and God says, Abraham, stop. And I, here, here's my mental picture. That ram begs for help, right? Sees Abraham over there, like, hey, this guy could help me. And then Abraham turns around and sees the offering. The S second, the M minute, the H hour. God has supplied for this exact situation ahead of time. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will see ahead, and he will make provision for exactly what I need. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Paul the Apostle, Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, when it was the D-day and the H hour, suddenly angels are gonna show up in the skies and the shepherds are going to be stupefied, a baby is born. When, God, when, in the fullness of, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's a D-day. It's an H hour. And of course, we're going to see that replayed on Passover day when Jesus is 33 years old. The very day and the very hour are significant to every Jew. This is a layering in their calendar throughout the ages and generations. This is the very day that they were delivered from Egypt. They put blood on their doorposts and they were freed from the power of the Egyptians and their enslavement. Whoa! The perfect day, the perfect hour. Jesus is going to be in a garden praying and then he's going to be arrested. Isn't this evil working against it? God is in total control. Just like every great battle, if, I'm going to go into it in the upcoming uh, Daily Thunders, but I'm going to, there's, there's certain things that I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to portray because the amount of deception in war is disturbing. The amount of disinformation that is purposely given, the, the allies are going to do all these things on Pas de Calais, like send over things to make it look like they're you know, searching out depths of water here and how they would land here. But they're going to even do that surreptitiously, but they know the Germans are watching it. So they want to be seen, but they want to look like they don't want to be seen. And so they're gonna establish a false day and a false hour, a false 
uh, landing point, everything is falsified. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I'm not exactly sure how to promote that to you. But it's very interesting in understanding that Jesus is going to come and he's going to do something, but the devil is going to fall for it. One thing God knows is he knows the devil, right? He knows that this guy is only interested in his own gain and his own glory. So he comes, and Jesus wasn't taken, by the way. Jesus offered himself. So it's like, why would you go to Jerusalem, Jesus? That's a bad idea. Don't you know that they're trying to catch you and kill you? Mm-hmm. You see, he, he knows the day and the hour. He, he is in on something. He knows it's time to go to Jerusalem. And then... The Last Supper, what is he? He's saying everything that's going to happen. He knows the plan at this time. And so when he goes to Gethsemane, he knows what's going to happen, and he knows that Peter's going to deny him three times. I mean, he knows what's going down, right? Peter doesn't have it all figured out. But that's understanding that God is, has worked backwards to this day. He had to be born 33 years before that, all the prophecies that were given before that so that they would even know in Bethlehem, I mean, even for him to be born in Bethlehem, Caesar Augustus is going to call for a tax. He's going to call for a census, and all of those of the descendancy of David have to return to that place, which Joseph was from that place, to be taxed. And of course, Mary, who's right at the point of saying, you've got to be kidding, Joseph. We're going to go to Bethlehem right now? Right now. And he is going to be born in the fullness of time in Bethlehem, and that had to be established for him to be the Messiah. If he's not born in Bethlehem, he's not the Messiah. All of these things are going to play to a D-day, to an H-hour. Do you trust God's H-hour? Well, that's a good question for all of us, because some of us have done a little complaining in regards to God's H-hour, his M-minute and his S-second. It's like, God, it's not in accordance with mine. Here's the best thing you can do as a Christian is submit your D-days, your H-hours, your M-minutes, and your S-seconds to him and say, God, I actually trust that you are the supreme commander and you see things I don't. There are things that Eisenhower knows that the average soldier has no clue about. And as a result, you need to trust that those that are in that position, in this case, he's the omniscient, <laughs> all-seeing one, God Almighty, who I think we could trust, guys, who sees it all. I mean, these guys are watching cloud movements and you know, weather patterns, and they're trying to guess. And even when Eisenhower guesses for the sixth, it is a huge risk. Huge risk. I mean, hundreds of thousands of men. All of this labor is building up, but if he doesn't go on the sixth, they have to wait another month. And the later into the year it goes, everything begins to shift in their plan. And they know that it is desperate that they move forward. So you could imagine that moment. He's not going to go on the 5th. That was their original day. He's going to skip June 5th. All right, we're going to go June 6th. Oh, huge risk. With God, he knows exactly what the weather is going to be on June 6th. He knows exactly where every human is going to be positioned, where every gun is going to be set. He knows everything. I want to follow his H hour. He knows what he's doing. I want to submit to that instead of thinking that I know better than my supreme commander. Uh, let me give you a, a mathematical formula here. Um, I know it may look familiar, but some of you have already forgotten. So we're going to review. GW plus BL equals RFAAE. 
Okay, do you guys remember what that is? GW is girt waist or girded waist. Okay, you're ready to move. You're enclosed. You're abiding in Christ. You are in an active state saying, God, I'm yours. I'm available to you. Plus BL, burning lamp. I have oil in my lamp today. And so for all of us, that's just where we start. Let's gird our waist to start out and say, okay, I'm in Christ. I want to be ready to move. If someone needs the gospel today, I want to be ready. If God wants me to give the last $20 in my pocket to someone, it's his. I want to be in an active state of readiness to serve Jesus. That's loins girt. Burning lamp, I know my power. I know where it comes from and it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. If I need to give love, I trust that he's going to do it through me because the Holy Spirit indwells me. I want to give his life, not my own. I want to give his love, not my own. I want to give his kindness, not mine. I want to give him to this world. I need to be filled with that oil. What does that lead to? R-F-A-A-E, ready for anything and everything. We are being trained not to be supreme commanders, but to be the men and women that are ready at a moment's notice to change. There's, there's guys that are gonna be sitting in boats nine days knowing the day and knowing the hour and it's going to be switched. <laughs> Can you imagine what this would be like? They've been holed up for nine days in a boat waiting knowing that their life is going to be likely lost in nine days. And then, then, tomorrow morning, not today. Oh, I mean, this is, this is hard stuff. But this is what the life of a soldier is. We are ready to change, ready to adapt, ready to say, sir, yes, sir, I trust your command. I trust that you know what's best. Oh, that's the end. Father, we need to be readied. We need to be prepared. We need to start by submitting to you as our supreme commander that you know the perfect timing. There's some of us that have been in long seasons of difficulty. And Lord, we have argued in the midst of that, even questioned your authority in this, questioned your ability. And Lord, we want to repent of that. We want to freshly declare that you are God's sovereign. You are providence. You see all things ahead of time, and you are preparing all things for your D-day and your H-hour, your M-minute and your S-second in our life and in the life of the body of Christ. We submit to you today, Lord Jesus, and we just ask that you would freshly bring about that girding of that loins and the burning of lamp. Lord, that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, the oil of God would fill us and that we would be readied for the task before us. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. 
Thanks for listening.